Chapter 72 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 72. Horror struck, Consuelo jumped down, and joining Joseph, pressed his arm without being observed, as a sign to draw apart from their companions. When the rest had gone on a little, she exclaimed in a low voice, We are lost if we do not instantly fly. These people are robbers, murderers. The proof is at hand. Let us quicken our pace and make off through the fields, for they have good reasons for deceiving us as they do. Joseph thought that some hideous dream had disturbed his companion's imagination. He scarcely understood what she said. For his own part, he felt oppressed by unusual languor, and the pains which he experienced in his stomach led him to believe that the wine he had drank must have been drugged. Assuredly, he had not so far infringed on sobriety as to feel himself affected to such an extent Dear Signor, said he, you have had the nightmare, and I almost imagine that I am suffering from it in listening to you. Were these honest fellows banditti, as you fancy, what could they hope to gain from seizing us? I know not, but I feel terrified, and if you had seen a murdered man in yonder carriage, as I have done. Joseph could not help laughing but this assertion of Consuelo seemed like a dream. But don't you see, said she earnestly, that they are leading us to the north, while Passau and the Danube are to the south? Look where the sun is, and see what sort of a desert we are now in, in place of approaching a great city. The correctness of these remarks struck Joseph, and began to dissipate the dreamy security into which he had fallen. Well, said he, let us go on, and if they attempt to detain us, we shall then see plainly their intentions. And if we cannot escape all at once, let us be cool, Joseph, do you hear? We must have our wits about us, so as to be always ready to escape in an instant. Then she began to lean on his arm, pretending to limp worse than ever, but gaining ground notwithstanding but they had not advanced ten paces before they were called back by Aramea, at first in mild terms, then in a sharper tone, and lastly, as they paid no attention, with oaths. Joseph looked back and saw with terror a pistol leveled at their heads. They are going to kill us, said he to Consuelo, slackening his pace. Are we beyond pistol range, said she coolly? pulling him on, and beginning to run. I do not know, said Joseph, trying to stop her. Do not fly yet. The time is not yet come. They are going to fire. Halt, or you die, exclaimed the driver, running faster than they did, and keeping them within his fire. Now for assurance, said Consuelo, stopping. Do as I do, Joseph. By my faith, she exclaimed, turning and laughing with all the self-possession of a finished actor. 
If I were not so lame, you would not have had your joke for nothing. And looking at Joseph, who was pale as death, she laughed loud and long, pointing him out to the travelers as they came up. He believed it all, said she, with a gaiety perfectly acted. Ah, my poor Beppo, I did not think you were such a coward. Do, Mr. Professor, look at Beppo. You would think he had a ball through him already. Consuelo spoke in the Venetian dialect, and the man with the pistol, not knowing what she said, did not venture to take any step with regard to them. Irmer pretended to laugh likewise, and turning to the driver, "'What do you mean?' said he, with a wink that did not escape Consuelo, "'by such stupid jokes. "'Why did you terrify these poor children?' "'I wanted to see if they had courage,' replied the man, "'replacing his pistol in his belt. "'Ah,' said Consuelo, "'they will have a poor opinion of you, friend Beppo. "'For my part, I was not a bit afraid. "'I appeal to you, Mr. Pistol.' You are a brave fellow, replied Irmair, and would make a famous drummer at the head of a regiment, with grapeshot whistling round you. As for that, I do not know, said she. I dare say I should have shown the white feather if I had thought he really meant to kill us. But we Venetians are too wide awake and are not to be taken in so. No matter, replied Irmair. It was a sorry joke. And addressing the driver, he appeared to scold him a little. But Consuelo was not their dupe, and she saw by the tone of their dialogue that they entered into an explanation, the result of which was that they thought they had been mistaken respecting her intention to fly. Consuelo, in the meantime, had re-entered the carriage with the others. Confess, said she to Irmair, laughing, that your driver with his pistols is a very strange fellow. I shall call him henceforth Signor Pistola. You must allow, however, Mr. Professor, that yonder joke had nothing new in it. It is a piece of German humor, said Irmia. You have better wit than that at Venice, have you not? Oh, do you know what Italians would have done in your place if they had wished to play us a good trick? They would have driven the carriage into the first thicket on the roadside and would have all hidden themselves. Then, when we turned round, not seeing anything and thinking that the devil had carried everybody away, should we not have been well caught? I especially, who can hardly drag myself along, and Joseph also, who is as cowardly as any doe of the Burma vault. And who would have believed himself abandoned in this desert? Emir laughed at her childish drollery, which he translated as she proceeded to the Signor Pistola, who was not less amused than he at the simplicity of the gondolier. Oh, you are quite too sharp-sighted, replied Mayor. No person will try to lay a trap for you again. And Consuelo, who at last saw the deep irony of his false good nature, show itself through his jovial and fatherly air, continued on her side to play the part of a fool who considers himself witty, a well-known character in every melodrama. Their adventure was certainly becoming very serious, and even while playing her part with skill, 
Consuelo felt that she was a prey to fever. Happily, fever only stimulates to action, while stupor, on the contrary, deadens and destroys every faculty. Thenceforth, she appeared as gay as she had been hitherto reserved, and Joseph, who had recovered all his faculties, seconded her well. Even while appearing not to doubt that they were approaching Passau, they pretended to lend a favorable ear to the proposition to go to Dresden, which Eremia did not fail to recur to. By this means, they gained his complete confidence, and he only waited for some favorable opportunity to confess frankly that he was carrying them there without their permission. The expedient was soon found. Ermeyer was by no means a novice in such matters. There commenced a lively dialogue in the strange language between the three individuals, Ermeyer, Signor Pistola, and the silent man. Then all at once they talked German and appeared to continue the same subject. I tell you it is so, cried Ermeyer. We have taken the wrong road, a proof of which is that their carriage does not come up. It is more than two hours since we left it behind, and though I looked back from the summit of the hill, I could see nothing. I cannot see it anywhere, said the driver, putting his head out of the carriage and drawing it in again with a disappointed air. Consuelo herself had remarked, after passing the first hill, the disappearance of the carriage in company with which they had left Biberoc. I was sure we had lost our way, observed Joseph, but I did not wish to say so. And why the devil did you not say so, returned the silent man, affecting great displeasure at this discovery. Because it was so amusing, said Joseph, inspired by Consuelo's innocent deceit. It is so amusing to lose one's way in a carriage. I thought that happened only to foot travelers. Well, it amuses me too, said Consuelo. I wish now we were on the road to Dresden. If I knew where we were, returned Eomer, I would rejoice with you, my children, for I must confess to you that I did not like going to Passau for the good pleasure of those gentlemen, my friends, and I should be delighted if we had gone far enough astray to excuse our complying with their wishes. Faith, Mr. Professor, said Joseph, Arrange that as you like, it is your business. If we do not inconvenience you, and you still wish us to go to Dresden, we are ready to follow you to the end of the world. What say you, Bertone? I say as you do, replied Consuelo. We will take our chance. You are good children, replied Mayor, concealing his joy under an air of pretended vexation. Still, I should like greatly to know where we are. No matter where we are, we must stop, said the driver. The horse is done up. He has eaten nothing since yesterday evening, and he has traveled all night. None of us would be at all the worse for some refreshment. Here is a little grove. We have some provisions left, and I say, halt. They entered the wood. The horse was unharnessed, Joseph and Consuelo earnestly offering their services, which were accepted without distrust. The chaise was let down upon its shafts, and in this movement 
the position of the invisible prisoner, doubtless becoming more painful, Consuelo again heard him groan. Mayer heard it also, and looked steadily at Consuelo, to see if she remarked it. But notwithstanding the pity that rent her bosom, she succeeded in appearing deaf and impassable. Mayer went round the carriage, and Consuelo, who had withdrawn a little, saw him open on the outside a little door behind, cast a glance into the interior of the back division, again close it, and replace the key in his pocket. Is the merchandise damaged? cried the silent man to Emea. All is well, replied he, with brutal indifference, and commenced to make preparations for their breakfast. Now, said Consuelo rapidly to Joseph as she passed, do as I do, and follow all my movements. She assisted in spreading the provisions on the grass, and in uncorking the bottles. Joseph imitated her example, affecting great gaiety, and Emea saw with pleasure these voluntary servants devote themselves to his comfort. He loved his ease, and began to eat and drink as well as his companions, displaying manners even more gluttonous and gross than he had shown the night before. Every minute he reached out his glass to his two new pages, who immediately rose, reseated themselves, and were off again, running now on this side, now on that, watching for the moment of running once for all, but waiting until the wine and the digestion should render those dangerous guardians less clear-sighted. At last, Aemir stretched himself at full length upon the grass, and unbuttoning his vest, exposed to the sun his broad chest, ornamented with pistols. The driver went to see if the horse was properly fed, and the silent man undertook to search for some place in the miry stream, beside which they had stopped, where the animal could drink. This was the moment for flight. Consuela pretended to search likewise. Joseph entered the thicket with her, and as soon as they were hidden by the closeness of the foliage, they took to their heels through the wood like two hares. They had nothing to fear from bullets in that thick undergrowth, and when they heard themselves called, they concluded that they had got far enough in advance to pursue their course without danger. It is better to reply, however, said Consuelo, stopping. That will avert suspicion and give us time for a fresh race. Joseph therefore called out, This way! There is water this way. A spring, a spring, cried Consuelo, and turning instantly to the right to confuse the enemy, they flew onward. Consuelo thought no longer about her swollen and painful feet, and as for Joseph, he had quite recovered from the effects of the narcotic which Irmair had administered to him the night before. Fear gave them wings. They ran on this way for about ten minutes, in an opposite direction from that which they had taken at first, without pausing to listen to the voices which called them from different sides, when they found the margin of the wood, and before them a steep and turfy slope which descended to the beaten road, bordered with thickets and clumps of trees. Let us not leave the wood, said Joseph. They will come this way and from this elevation they can see us in whatever direction we go. 
Consuelo paused a moment, explored the country with a rapid eye, and said, The wood behind us is too small to conceal us for any length of time. Before us, there is the road and the chance of meeting someone. Ah, exclaimed Joseph, it is the very same road that we were traveling just now. See, it turns to the right to the spot we left. If one of our pursuers get upon horseback, he will overtake us before we reach the level ground. That is what we must see, said Consuelo. We shall run quickly down the hill. I see something below there on the road, which comes this way. We must reach it before we are overtaken. Come, follow me. There was no time to lose in deliberation. Joseph trusted implicitly in Consuelo. The hill was passed in an instant, and they had gained the first clump of trees when they heard the voices of the enemy in the wood. This time they took care not to reply, and ran till they came to a sunk brook which the trees had hidden from their observation. A long plank served as a bridge, and after crossing, they threw it into the water. When they had gained the other side, they continued to descend, always under cover of the dense foliage, and, hearing themselves no longer called, they concluded that their enemies had lost their track, or else were feigning in order to take them by surprise. Here the underwood disappeared, and they paused, fearing to be observed. Joseph thrust his head out cautiously, and saw one of the brigands, probably the swift-footed Signor Pistola, at the foot of the hill, not far from the river. While Joseph kept watch, Consuelo had been surveying the road and all at once returned to him. It is a carriage which is coming toward us, said she. We are saved. We must get up to it before our pursuers think of crossing the river. They ran straight in the direction of the road, in spite of the exposed nature of the ground. The carriage, in the meantime, approached rapidly. Oh, heavens, cried Joseph, if it were the other conveyance, that of the accomplices. No, said Consuelo, it is a barouche with six horses, two postilions and two outriders. Courage, we are saved, I tell you. It was indeed time for them to reach the road. Pistola had found the print of their feet on the sand of the brook. He had the strength and rapidity of a wild boar. He soon found out where they had crossed and the props that had sustained the plank. He perceived the trick, swam across the river, found their footsteps on the other side, and, following them, came likewise to the outlet. He saw the fugitives traverse the thicket, but he also saw the carriage, understood their design, and, unable to prevent it, he re-entered the thicket and kept on the watch. At the cries of the young people, who they supposed were mendicants, the barouche did not at first stop. The travelers threw them some pieces of money, and the couriers, seeing that in place of picking them up, they ran alongside of the carriage, still exclaiming, quickened their pace to a gallop, in order to free their masters from their importunity. Consuelo, out of breath, and losing his strength as often happens, just at the moment of success, continued her pursuit, clasping her hands with a supplicating gesture, while Joseph, clinging to the steps, 
at the risk of losing his hold and being crushed under the wheels, cried out with a panting voice, Help! Help! Robbers! Assassins! We are pursued! One of the travelers by degrees understood their broken accents and signed to the couriers to stop their horses. Consuelo then, dropping the bridle to which she had clung, although the horse had reined upright and the man had threatened her with the whip, joined Joseph. Her animated countenance struck the travelers who entered into conversation with them. What does all this mean, said one of them. Is this some new way of asking alms? You have got alms. What do you want more? Can't you speak? Consuela felt as if she should expire, and Joseph, breathless, could only gasp out, Save us! Save us! And they pointed to the wood in the hill without being able to utter a word. They look like two foxes hard-pressed in the chase, said the other traveler. Let us wait till they recover breath. And the two gentlemen, who were magnificently attired, smiled with a coolness which contrasted strongly with the agitation of the poor fugitives. At length, Joseph succeeded in uttering the words, Robbers! Assassins! The nobleman forthwith opened the door and, stepping out, looked around on all sides, astonished to see nothing that could justify such an appeal. For the scoundrels had concealed themselves, and the country appeared silent and deserted. At length, Consuelo, recovering herself, spoke as follows, stopping at each word to regain breath. We are two poor wandering musicians. We have been carried off by some men whom we do not know, and who, under a pretext of doing us a service, made us enter their carriage and travel all night. At daybreak, we found out that they were deceiving us and carrying us northward instead of following the road to Vienna. We endeavored to fly, but they threatened us, pistol in hand. At last they stopped in that wood, and we escaped, and ran toward your carriage. If you abandon us here, we are lost. They are only a few paces from the road, one in the thicket and the others in the wood. How many are there, then, asked one of the couriers. My good fellow, said one of the travelers in French, he to whom Consuelo had addressed herself, because he was nearest to her on the footboard. Learn that this does not concern you. How many are there, indeed? A fine question, truly. Your duty is to fight if I command you, and I shall give you no orders to count the enemy. Do you really wish to amuse yourself with a little sword practice? returned the other nobleman in French. Remember, Baron, that will take time. It will not take long, and the exercise will warm us. Will you be of the party, Count? Certainly, if it amuses you. And the Count, with majestic indifference, took his sword in one hand and in the other two pistols, the handles of which were ornamented with precious stones. Oh, you do well, gentlemen, cried Consuelo, whose impetuosity made her forget for an instant her humble part and pressing the Count's arm with both her hands. The Count, surprised at so much familiarity on the part of a little vagabond of that class, looked down at his sleeve, 
with an air of comic disgust, shook it, and raised his eyes with contemptuous deliberation toward Consuelo, who could not help smiling when remembering with what ardor Count Sestini Annie and so many other illustrious Venetians had requested in former times the favor of kissing one of those hands whose insolence now appeared so shocking. Whether there was in her countenance at that instant a ray of calm and gentle dignity, which contradicted the poverty of her appearance, or the ease with which she spoke the language then fashionable in Germany, led him to suspect she was some young nobleman in disguise, or whether, lastly, the charm of her sex made itself felt instinctively. The Count suddenly changed his expression, and instead of his form of smile of disdain, he looked at her with a kind and benevolent air. The Count was still young and handsome, and his appearance would have dazzled the spectator if the Baron had not surpassed him in youth, in regularity of features, and in nobleness of form. They were the two handsomest men of their age, to use the common phrase, applied to them as well as probably to many others. Consuelo, seeing the expressive looks of the young baron also fixed upon her, with an appearance of uncertainty, surprise, and interest, turned their attention from her person by saying, "'Go, gentlemen, or rather come, for we will act as your guides.' Those bandits have in their carriage an unfortunate man, hidden in a concealed partition, and shut up as in a dungeon. He is confined there, with his hands and feet tied, all covered with blood, and closely gagged. Hasten to deliver him. Such a task belongs to noble hearts like yours. By Jove, a fine boy, cried the baron, and I see, my dear Count, that we have not lost our time in listening to him. Perhaps it is some brave gentleman whom we shall rescue from the hands of the bandits. You say they are there, said the Count, pointing to the wood. Yes, but they are now scattered, said Joseph, and if your excellencies would listen to my humble advice, you will divide your attack. You will advance along the highway in your carriage as quickly as possible, and having skirted the hill, you will find just at the entrance of the wood, on the opposite side, the carriage with the prisoner, while I conduct those on horseback directly across. There are only three of them, although well armed, but the rascals, seeing themselves between two fires, will offer no resistance. It is good advice, said the baron. Do you count? Remain in the carriage and let your servant accompany you. I will mount his horse. One of these young people will serve you as guide and show you where to stop. I will take the other along with my chasseur. Let us be quick, for if the banditti, as it is probable, have taken the alarm, they will be beforehand with us. The carriage cannot escape, observed Consuelo, for their horse is tired out. The baron mounted one of the servant's horses, while the servant got up behind the carriage. "'Jump in,' said the Count to Consuelo, making her enter first, without being himself aware of the deference he paid her. Nevertheless, he took the back seat, she the front, 
Then leaning over the door as the postilions galloped forward, his eye followed his companion, who rode across the brook followed by his escort, behind whom was seated Joseph. Consuela was not without some anxiety for her poor comrade, thus exposed to the first fire. Yet she felt esteem and approbation for his conduct on seeing him bravely face the danger. She saw him ascend the hill, followed by the horsemen, who spurred their horses vigorously and disappeared in the wood. Two shots were heard, then a third. The barouche turned the hill, and Consuelo, unable to distinguish anything further, prayed fervently, while the Count, anxious for his noble companion, shouted to the postillion with an oath, Gallop, you scoundrel! Spare neither whip nor spur! End of chapter 72